Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. This week, I sat down with USA Today Chief Product Officer Chris Barton in a live podcast event that we held at USA Today's New York offices just last night. We do these types of events regularly, and if you would like to come, you can if you're a Digiday Plus member. So please do consider joining our membership program. You can find out more about it at digiday.com slash subscribe. Um, But basically, you get unlimited access to all of our content and exclusive invites to events just like this. Anyway, Chris and I discuss what it's like leading product at a publisher versus being in a tech company, the principles behind USA Today's new redesign that's rolling out right now, and when a product process will go off the rails. Hope you enjoy it. We are going to get started, and I want to welcome Chris Barton. Chris is the Chief Product Officer at USA Today. That's correct. Thank you. Great to be here. Okay, so Chris, um, you started your career not in publishing. In fact, like publishing is, is a sort of recent endeavor of yours. You were in technology, right? Yes. At Microsoft, and yes. then reached local, and then you, you became part of USA Today. What is the biggest difference of running product or being just even in product or executing on product at a publishing company versus a tech company? Yeah, so there's, uh, I'm assuming USA Today is not calling itself a tech company. We're we're not, although we do think we have some great technologies, but uh, it's definitely different. And it's it's also interesting when you look at sort of the roots of software and tech companies and and all that. When software companies, make software, you know, if you look, if you go back, I was at Microsoft at one point and working on Office, Microsoft Office, and you, you look at how they develop products and what they do, and it's, it really comes into, um, they had this software development life cycle, and there was these phases of you would plan and do research, and then you would specify what you were going to build, and then you would do development, then you would do quality assurance and testing, and then you would ship, and the shipping was a physical, you know, CD or DVD or something that you did, and that cycle might take a few years, you know, to, to actually go through and do that. And then um, one of the big pushes that happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago in software is to say, that doesn't work. The world's moving way too fast. We need to actually do things much quicker on much shorter cycles. So you had these agile development methodologies that came in that tried to look at things in terms of two or four week sprints where you would try and do things. And what's, what's an interesting analogy, though, is um, when you look at the publisher side, the DNA of the company is to ship something every day. You know, you think of, you've got or multiple times a day, and you've got that DNA of like, it's not about let's work on something that's three or six months out. There might be a few of those, but really the core DNA is every day we're pushing something. We're, we're trying to do something. And so actually there's almost some things I think technology companies can learn from, from publishers and that, that side, which makes it kind of interesting and, and, uh, and different. But that's, that's one thing that jumps out to yeah. me that's sort of unique. Well, what's the core product challenge like at a publisher versus a tech company? Because, I mean... Product, like you say, I mean, the product changes every day. Yep. I mean, that's, that's certainly a, a challenge. Um, but also, technology has never been the core competence of content companies at the end of the day. Yep. And, and at technology companies, it really is about the technology for the most part. At publishers, it really is the confluence of three things, right? It's advertising, journalism, and, and technology. And the technology tends to manifest itself a lot in the experience. You know, how do I know what to click on next, what do I do, how am I exposed to different things? And I think that's, that's one of the things that is ultimately different ab- about them. But as you look at most, I mean, I think the web, again, sort of introduced this brand new model where it said, actually, you need to monitor, if you're going to do a web service, whatever it is, 
and it's a consumer product, you still need to monetize it. So it brought in the advertising piece in where that's actually more similar than you would think. Uh, but what's missing that is the, the content itself, the journalism side is so core to what the product is. And that is a different environment really than anything that you see in, in, in tech companies as a whole, because mm -hmm. that is really one of the main essence or elements of the product itself. Um, so talk about balancing. I mean, you talked about advertising, and then you talk about um, the users. And I think, you know, there's some of that with ad-supported technology um, products, but, you know, core challenge has to be balancing those two needs, right? Because we can talk about them being, um, you know, harmonious. Sometimes they're in conflict. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that... Uh you had shared a story with me before, and I have oh, one. Oh, don't, not that one. No, no, that I, I won't go there, but I have, I have one of my own, which is <laughs> I grew up and had uh, four, you know, there were me and, and three siblings, so four kids and my parents, and we had a Honda Accord, okay? And we would go on road trips across the country, and uh, if you think about that, Accord has five seats, right? So we had my parents in the front, uh, my siblings were the older ones in the back seat, and my seat was the emergency brake, literally. I actually put a pillow over the emergency brake, and I sat there, and I always felt like I was sort of squished in. After, quite the after, analogy, Chris. I, well, I felt like I was an afterthought <laughs> to some extent, right? And uh, the, the reason why I say that is when, when you think about balancing the two, I think there is a lot of times where it feels like an element of that, whether it's the monetization piece or whatever, it's just sort of squished in at the end. I have an interesting take on that, which is I don't think that's bad all the time. It's like sometimes it's not good, but I actually don't think it's always bad. When I, when I look back to the Honda Accord trips, it still got us from A to B. You know, it would have been nicer to have something else, but we, we had what we had and we, we made do and it served its purpose. And so I think there are times where we look at that and we say, it's bad to have this tension, you know, and it's so tough or whatever, but actually it, it serves its purpose. It, it allows uh, both sides of the business to be represented for the newsroom to be funded. Uh, and for you know, monetization to occur because a company has to have money to, to run. And so um, there are times where we want to minimize that, but there are other times where I think it's okay just to say, yeah, that's not the most elegant thing, but it works. And it's, it's achieving our goal, which is to be able to deliver quality journalism to our consumers and pay for it. You know? I, but I think the counter would be that if, if you were just a pure product standpoint, Publishers are failing at product, right? I mean, they, uh, it, you don't have to go very far, click very, very far to come across disastrous product experiences. I won't name any publishers, but, you know, with, you're bombarded with, with autoplay video. Sites are, are slow because there's, there's hundreds of, of calls going on. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, platforms have used this to their advantage, right? So... I mean, how can publishers balance a really difficult monetization landscape with delivering truly great products? Yeah, I think that's where having good technologists, people who understand technology and, and what's evolving, can help to introduce the technologies that will solve some of those problems. Um, and we've had uh, several examples of that. One of the um, things that, that love to talk about today a little bit is we're currently undergoing an, uh, a design on USA Today. So we're, we're at 2% rolled out and are uh, going to be rolling out completely by October. And as part of that, we've looked at a lot of these issues, you know, performance and load times. We've re-architected things, used new technologies. And coming at it from a technologist standpoint, we can look at some of these technologies and say, how can these technologies empower us to deliver better experiences? 
And that, that adds, adds a, a new element. And, and you can get geeky really fast on some of that stuff, but HTTP2 is a protocol that allows you to um, pull in content from different domains at the same time, which allows you to load things much faster. There, there's all these things, when you're looking at it from a technology standpoint, you're able to take a different lens on it and say, that's gonna solve a problem which will help us create better experiences. And so that's why I think it is important to have that balance of technologists who are at your company who are empowered to think about technology first uh, and not come into the, not come in every day thinking, how am I just thinking about journalism? But they come together on both those sides to create better experiences. Let's talk about the, the, the redesign. What were the core goals of it? Was it to get the, the site faster? Core goals were really a few things. One was uh, we, we want to increase engagement with our customers. That was number one. Because out of that drives all the good behaviors we want. So that was number one. Increased engagement with, with customers um, or consumers. And then secondarily, it was much faster load times. That was a, a big focus of ours. So we re-architected everything really from the ground up so it would really beat all of our competition. We wanted to be the fastest site. Um, and then the third thing was uh, creating safe experiences for advertisers where we could uh, take more advantage of layouts and, uh, and themes to create more compelling, engaging, rich environments but also create brand safe environments that we could um, really feel confident going out and selling that our clients would be able to say, oh, I know when I advertise with you that I'm gonna be sure that I'm not showing up to next content I don't want and all that. So those were the, those were the three main things, engagement, uh, the, the monetization side, and the performance side were the things that we were really trying to drive. What was the hardest to, to solve for? Um, I think engagement's the hardest one because uh, you can always add more ads or, or uh, add more features, do things, but if, if people aren't engaging with them, then you're defeating the whole point. So from our standpoint, we really wanted to understand the behaviors of consumers, how those evolve and change. And one of the things that, that we see all the time is things that might have been true you know, three years ago might be evolving now, and they evolve because the technologies change and, and, and different pieces change. Um, one little side note before I answer that, our organization of our teams and how we're set up at, at USA Today is we have, when it comes to product, it's really three main disciplines. So it's product management, um, and those are the people that are sort of thinking through what are the ideas or the features or things that we need to do, and, and they're sort of researching out who the markets we're going to go after, the audiences we're going to go after. The second element is user experience and design. So a lot of people will outsource elements of that. Uh, we, for this, specifically did not want to do that. We wanted to make sure we had that competency in-house that we knew this was so core to who we are and what we do, that we had it in-house and that we could deliver those experiences ourselves. Uh, and then the third one is the actual engineers who build what you're doing. And so those three core disciplines are organized together, and their singular purpose is to work with our stakeholders. Our stakeholders are you know, marketing, it's the, the newsroom, it's uh, our advertising and sales teams to, to bring together requirements to ultimately decide how do we make these trade-offs and deliver the best outcomes. So talk about the trade-offs. That's fun. Yeah. Because you talk about these uh, stakeholders and, um, and then there's a scrum because everyone is, it starts to fight over pixels. Yep. Uh, so, so a lot of that is having very clear goals before you start getting to the solutions. I think that that's one of the things that if you can agree on, hey, this is the revenue number we have to hit, or this is the engagement number we have to hit. And we, we had those for this redesign where we knew what our revenue targets were and, and ways that we could monetize. We knew what our engagement numbers were that we wanted to try and target and hit. And so we identified those clearly. And every time where we started to get in those moments where 
we were talking about trade-offs, we would come back to, well, doing you know these, these sets of things, we're not going to hit that number. And are we okay not hitting the number? And we would circle back to no, we're not okay. We have to hit the number. So that means we have to make that trade-off. So that was, that was the way to keep us grounded is just have those really concise and clear goals defined up front. A lot of times people will define them after the fact. They'll start to work, start to build, and then say, okay, what do we want this thing to be? And uh, especially when you're dealing with stakeholders, you've got to have that clarity and that buy-in up front before you start building. So why not outsource um, design? I mean, a lot of publishers do outsource um, big design projects, redesigns, at least historically. Yep. Tons of agencies out there. They're specialists. Um, so why not, why not tap into the specialists to do a redesign? Um, in this case, a simple answer to that is, in this case, I believed we are the specialists. Um, that, that's, that's what we wanted to do. That's core to what we do and what we deliver um, for us. And, and every company is going to be unique and different. If uh, you know smaller companies, you may not have the capacity of people and, and all that. We felt like we had the resource and we had the capability. We wanted to own and do it ourselves. So that's uh, that's ultimately what it was. Was we wanted to have that core competency and drive it. A lot of times when consultants come in, they'll position something to you, and then you know they leave, and you're sort of stuck with executing it. And so we wanted to make sure we could execute this. And we knew in this design, it wasn't going to be a six-month effort and done. That it really is a it's a perpetual thing where we identified a ton of features. We have this sort of milestone that we've identified where we're going to turn things on and, and there'll be a visual change that's going to occur, but there's a ton of features that will come after that and have already even come as part of that release. Mm -hmm. I, talk about the buy versus build decision that ends up um, coming up for any sort of product. I mean, I guess, you know, coming from a technology background, you could be like, well, you could build everything. You could build your own ad server, I guess. Um, but Ultimately, you have to decide what you're going to do in-house and what you're going to license from technology companies. Yeah, it, from a technology standpoint, you, you hit it nail on the head of every person in my team pretty much is going to say, we can build that. You know, that'll be the default. Oh, we can do that. We can do it faster. We can do it better. We, we can do it all. So you, you, you really do have to look at, you know, time to market is, is the number one factor usually for, for understanding whether you can build or buy it yourself. Um, but it's also knowing that anything you get off the market will ultimately require some customization. I've really never been in any large-scale project where you can just use a tool off the shelf, no configuration, no setup, it just works. That, that really doesn't happen, so you have to think about your total cost of ownership on that. And I think one of the key things to also think about is, uh, that we will do is, what's the lifetime cost of that? And, and that's in, a lot of people, when they think total cost of ownership, they think up till the release, but really, the release is the start of the cost um, in many cases, where after that, how's it going to be maintained? You know, what, what additional updates are going to be done? And so when you think of that, that often opens up the answer a little more clearly of, is this an ongoing heavy development thing, in which case maybe you should be doing it yourself? Or is this a, well, after we do it, we plan on pivoting because it was just a short-term bridge to get us somewhere else? So give me an example of when you decided to build like where you could easily have used um, and customized a, an off-the-shelf, but you decided we're going to build it in internally. Yeah, one, one for us is our content management system. So we, at USA Today, we have our... Is its name? Oh, Presto. It has to have a name, Presto. Presto okay. is the name, yeah. <laughs> Fancy name. Uh, but that's the, that's the tool that our newsrooms use to, to do their job every day. That's where they write their stories and publish them and, and, and do all that. And that then syndicates out to 
our entire network, whether it's the national property, which is USA Today for us, or the 109 local markets, depending on who the journalist is and what market they're in. Uh, but that, that tool, when we looked at it, we actually looked several times at, you know what, there's a ton of these out there. Do we just go pull one off the shelf and use it? And, and we started to get into it and we said, well, okay, the number of markets we have, some of our unique requirements were we like to share stories between individual markets and national. Um, and as we looked at those instances, we found, well, they're not really built to do that. Um, we started looking at the, the sheer number of volume and editors that we needed uh, to, to use the tool simultaneously, the load we'd be putting on it, some of the analytics things. And we started to go through all that and we just said, you know what, we can get an off-the-shelf tool, but we're going to have to put so much effort into customizing it that it's going to be just as much, just as expensive. And instead, let's look at that as a competitive differentiation. So that's what we did. Okay, so that's to, for your own use. We're seeing publishers who are saying, you know what, we're not only going to build it in-house, we're going to license it to others. We're going to make this part of our business. Fox Media is doing this. Um, Washington Post is now doing this. Um, any sort of, I mean, you're from a technology background. You must have an itch to um, bring Presto out to the, the world. Sure. Uh, the, the temptation's <laughs> always there, and, and I think we, we might consider it. But at the end of the day right now, we're also trying to stay focused on what we are as a core company, which is, you know, we believe... The news and journalism side is definitely, we're committed to that. We want to do that well. And then secondarily, we also have a, another business, which is our um, marketing solutions business. And that's you know, selling marketing services, which are even outside of our network, uh, to our clients. And um, we believe that's our core business. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to not spread ourselves too thin and trying to do too many things, not do them well. But what do you think are some particular challenges these companies might have because I think it's very attractive, this idea that, you know, oh, God, this is a new business line. We already invest all this in technology. And um, SaaS multiples, I'm told, are better than publishing company multiples. For sure. Absolutely. But you're also getting yourself into a space now where you're having to support something that's not core to who you are. And I think, um, so, for example, a new security patch comes out. Yeah. and it's urgent and there's an attack going on and your clients are being affected, well, you're going to have to reroute resources to go deal with that issue because all your clients are going to be threatened until you resolve it. And so you're not just doing that for yourself, you're doing that for all your clients, dealing with them, supporting them, and that might be unplanned spikes where it's taking you away from your core of what you're doing. And so, again, it depends on the business. For us right now, um, we're committed to these core business lines and... Um, and I think there's also, you know, you have to look at what the relative size of that opportunity is, you know, yeah. and, uh, and decide if it's a big enough opportunity for you as a business. Yeah. Talk through the product process that, that, you, that you've set up, um, yeah. because that's, that's critical. Yeah. So product development is, is, is an art and a science, and you have to look at, at these things together. So um, I, I mentioned before, so I uh, don't know how many sort of tech and uh, those kind of background folks are, are here, but... Um, one of the common principles that almost everyone is, is doing right now in any tech company and, and publishing companies to a large extent as well is agile development. And what that basically means is that you, are, rather than decide upfront a two-year plan of all the things you're going to do and go execute those, that you're really looking at those in two to four week cycles. So you're saying, let's think about what we're going to do for the next two weeks and we'll, we'll get that done. And then at the end of those two weeks, we'll have something that if we wanted to, we could actually release to the market or we can just keep going another few times until we feel like it's ready. 
And so that, that mindset, that shift is, is core to development of understanding that the market is changing so fast around you that if you have this concrete plan that's ironclad and buttoned up, it probably won't make sense in a year because things will change around you too fast. And so allowing that to occur uh, creates for these fantastic environments where every day there's a very lively discussion with these, these disciplines of engineering and product and UX and design where they have these things called a daily huddle. And they, they stand up, or daily stand up. They get together every day, 15, 20 minutes. They're talking about what you do yesterday, what's blocking you today. And everybody goes around and has that discussion. And, and it's called a stand-up because you're literally standing up. It's intent. You do not sit down because you don't want it to be a 30-minute meeting or an hour meeting. You want it to be quick. And you're checking in, sharing where you're at, what's going on, and your progress. And then you have a, a bunch of tools that are helping you forecast, are you going to get where you think you were um, by the end of those two weeks? Are you going to complete the task that you, you think you were? And that, uh, those things are called your velocity. So how fast are you working towards achieving your goals and getting those things out? That really allows you, when you get in a rhythm of doing that, that allows you to understand when a problem comes up, you can quickly dissect it into the different pieces. And, and the way that works is you break them down into things called user stories. And so these user stories are a problem statement where you're like, okay, a client comes in, we want them to read an article and share it on a social network. That could be a user story, okay? And so what are all the pieces and things that have to happen? And so when you think about a problem coming up or something you need to solve, the, the team is used to looking at that problem and saying, what are the user stories that make up that problem and breaking it into those pieces? And then also understanding their velocity of how fast they can get through those things. They're pretty good at saying, well, we can solve this problem in two months. Um, and there's a good team that kind of works through and is able to kind of hit at that and, and knock at that. So that's, that is core to the DNA of how product is set up. And then on top of those tools, we have tools that we use to measure and do all that. We have uh, built some custom uh, logic that sits on top of that that allows us to understand, is there a team that we have somewhere that is underutilized right now, that's not getting enough throughput? Um, and that allows us to shift resources and get the most out of those teams. And, and we can also tell before we even start, is this project actually ready to go? Do we, do we have enough of the stories documented and the things going for us to say go? Because um, it used to be in the old days, you might start working on something and you wouldn't even know that the teams didn't know what they were supposed to be doing because you didn't have, you didn't have a, a clear way of tracking is everything set up and, and ready to go. So those tools are really core and all that is called, that's agile development. And um, it, it really, when you come back to that, where, a lot of that where that was started, it came from drug manufacturers who had these long life cycles of two, three years to build uh, something and they were saying, we're losing out because we're spending all this money and sometimes the drugs don't get approved or the, the things are, are faulty. So they started coming up with these methodologies. The auto industry was also a key source of pulling that together, of saying we have all these different systems and these complex automobiles that need to be built. How do we make sure we know who's working on what each day and those tasks are getting done and we're keeping throughput? So Toyota had a lot of these core principles that came out, but um, they've ultimately... In the early 90s, there were some, some leaders that met together and said, let's, let's apply this to software development. And that's when a lot of those principles started coming out in the late 90s and early 2000s. Okay, so explain the complexity of making a publishing product today because we're not talking about a website. I mean, we could be talking about a website, a publishing product could be a website, it could be email newsletters, it could be an app, um, it could be an Alexa skill, it could be a VR experience. Um, I mean, there's, there's just an infinite amount of products. Yep. Yeah. So when when I think of a publishing product, there are several different inputs to it, right? There's 
obviously, there's the delivery of it to you. How fast can it get to you? How does it load in, in the quickest way possible? And a bunch of technologies that come with that. There's the advertising technology behind that, which is also header bidding and audience segmentation that are going on that are helping define who you are, what ads to show you, um, and those elements. And then on the content side, same thing is happening. We're trying to put you into a segment so we can understand what's the best experience to deliver to you to, to drive engagement. So all those things are coming together in milliseconds when the page loads to try and ultimately decide what we're going to do and how we're going to treat that experience with you uh, to ultimately get you to engage. And what, what's fun about that is because all of it's changing all the time. There really isn't anything that's constant on a, on a publishing page. It is always changing all the time. So there's really no two experiences that are the same. So when you start thinking about how do you normalize that data, see trends, do all that, the importance of having a really good data infrastructure and now machine learning and artificial intelligence on top of that to be able to pull out insights is really gotten even more important uh, because you can't just say, this story always performs this way, because that story might be the headline, and you know, an hour later it's not, or for the next person it's not, based on where they're located or what they're doing. So there's so many variables in the publishing mm -hmm. side that make it uh, very exciting from a technology standpoint, but also very, very uh, challenging in terms of these data sets that you have to so quickly understand and process to make good decisions. Yeah, I'm wondering from a product standpoint how you... Um, view the the challenge of misinformation out there and of low trust in news. I mean, because I think a lot of times you hear it, you know, from the journalism perspective and also obviously from broader societal perspective. But what about this as a a product challenge? Yeah. So that's one of the things in in our redesign that we've tried to address um, straight up. And that when we looked at that, we we identified a few elements. One was you know, for, for quite some time, publishers have been labeling content. That's not been a, a new innovation or anything. But we've seen that the need to label even more clearly is, get, is, is increasing. So uh, not just do you label it, but you really need to call it out, be very crisp and clear where you're at in the concept or in the, in the construct of the, the destination, the news destination that you've gone to, what type of content you're reading, making sure that's called out really, really well. Because... It used to be you would come in through the homepage and navigate on to the section. You kind of knew where you were. You had this concept of wayfinding of, oh, yeah, I knew I was here. I clicked here. I went through. Now you might be coming in through search, through social, um, through links other people sent you that, that's becoming more and more pervasive. And as you, as you look at that, you really have no idea what you're reading or what you're looking at. So it's important to label things and be very crisp about this is where you are. This is part of a sports write-up. This is a sports story. This is an opinion. This is, um, this is content that uh, is, is published in the last hour and is getting updated currently right now. Um, and, and so that's been an important element. And then also the, the piece of trust is, depending on where you're coming from, creating different experiences for you to enter into that story. So if you come from social, we don't want to give you the same experience as if you came in from the homepage. And the reason for that is when you were in social, you probably got a preview already of the story and you're drilling in for more detail. So we want to skip the lightweight stuff and jump right into the meat of it. Whereas if you're just browsing casually, you might need a preview before you jump into the meat. So things like that where we've tried to architect the experience to be much more mindful of where you've come from. And we believe that adds trust because it, it helps just be very clear to the consumer of what's going on. I, quick ad tech question. I mean, you already mentioned header bidding, but... Um, how how difficult is it to 
build a seamless product experience with how many ad tech partners that a modern publisher needs these days and how that software is actually built. So the, the technologies to bring them all together are not that complicated. And, and it's gotten pretty, pretty straightforward in that you have what's called a, a tag manager, which sits on your, your site. And that tag manager includes all the tracking scripts and elements and everything that, that are in there. Um, and it's pretty simple to sort of add things and remove things to that. But that's the problem. It's so simple to add things that the consumer experience suffers typically very badly. So um, it really is about thinking about your design of your page so that you're constructing it in a way where the ad scripts aren't going to slow down the experience. Uh, and then also that you have enforcement around what gets ad and if something's not being used anymore that it gets removed because we have advertisers coming and going all the time and sometimes you, know, you can have tags that stay on there and they're still loading and they're not really needed anymore. So really having, being on top of that very, very closely. So you can have like one line of JavaScript in, one line out. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, it's more, it, it really is, does come down to just being on, on top of it and then looking and, and having rule sets around what JavaScript you allow on the site because you'll get some third parties that'll try and do things which will just bring the machine, the, the computer that they're loaded on to a screeching halt. So you really have to, what's the size of it? What's it doing? Make sure you have a good understanding of what you're putting on your page. There's sometimes, because of this trust or this uh, simplicity of tag management, that exists where you can just add and remove things, there tends to be with a lot of sites just a, ah, it just happens to get on there, nobody's really checking it. But uh, checking it before it loads is, is important. Do you think on a, in a broad scale that publishers have sort of, um, they've lost out to platforms in some way because they've neglected their products? Yeah, I think that's definitely been a reality. I, I think some of it's neglected the product. I think a lot but of- Why is AMP, why is that necessary? Because the page is low too slow. Right, I mean, but that, that's, it's sort of an indictment yeah. of publishers that it took Google to solve a problem that publishers should have solved. Absolutely. Um, and, and I, in that regard, yes, it is. But also, you know, you've got Google's coming at it from a different angle. They're not trying to monetize like the publishers are. And so um, there is that sort of... Um, balance again of you know publishers are trying to make money and stay in line mm -hmm. google might look at that as a loss leader and go for something else so there, there is that that, that trade-off but but absolutely there's been neglect on the publisher side of the, the the products that we have and we need to gain that trust back by delivering better experiences speed is one of those things you know th the number of ads on a page is one of those things we need to be thoughtful about that and and um, we're definitely trying to do that with our redesign i know that uh, you know other sites are, are out there trying to do that as well mm -hmm. but there definitely needs to be more of a focus yeah the final thing i, I want to ask you about when you're looking at a, a product development process what is one sign that it's going to go wrong or a common mistake when it comes to a product process that ends up going sideways yeah, there's a few things I'd look for. One is no clear stated goal of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and I think when, when it's not clear what you're trying to do, it becomes a lot harder to get, get outcomes. That's one. The only time where that's okay is when the goal is explicitly stated as we're just researching this. This is just a research task so I, we can get an understanding. And I think that you have to be careful with that, that everything doesn't become that because there's a tendency to say, oh, this is just research. So just we don't have to have goals. 
But anytime it's dependent and it's revenue generating, driving all that, you need to have clear, clear goals. The second one that's, that's really clear is when looking at who the stakeholders are and everyone can't just name them like that. If it's not clear who they are, it's clearly that too many people are trying to drive it. And that's, that's where most projects, especially in larger companies, get in trouble. And, and at publishers, there can be a great tendency for that because you have different components with the content and with the ads and with the product and yeah. with you know, marketing, other pieces. And so really making sure it's clear who are the people that are driving it, everybody knows who those are, and that you understand what those outcomes should be. Okay. Chris, I want to thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Cool. Awesome. Thank you Thank all you, everybody. And thank you all for listening. A special thanks to Pierre Bianome. Uh, he has just joined us as our senior podcast producer. He's going to be telling me all about my verbal tics. And we are always interested in your feedback. I am Brian at digiday.com on email or bmarsi on Twitter. And please do give us a rating and a review wherever you get this podcast. <laughs>